0: Chapter 14, Part 1 of Knots Untied by J. C. Ryle This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Chapter 14, The Sabbath, Part 1 Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus Chapter 20, verse 8 There is a subject in the present day which demands the serious attention of all professing Christians in Great Britain. That subject is the Christian Sabbath or Lord's Day. It is a subject which is forced upon our notice, whether we like it or not. The minds of Englishmen are agitated by questions arising out of it. Is the observance of a Sabbath binding on Christians? Have we any right to tell a man that to do his business, or seek his pleasure on a Sunday, is a sin? Is it desirable to open places of public amusement on the Lord's Day? All these are questions which are continually asked, they are questions to which we ought to be able to give a decided answer. The subject is one on which diverse and strange doctrines abound. Statements are continually made about Sunday, both by speakers and writers, which plain unsophisticated readers of the Bible find it impossible to reconcile with the Word of God. If these statements proceeded only from the ignorant and irreligious part of the world, the defenders of the Sabbath would have no reason to be surprised but they may well wonder when they find educated and religious persons among their adversaries it is a melancholy truth that in some quarters the sabbath is wounded by those who ought to be its best friends the subject is one which is of immense importance it is not too much to say that the prosperity or decay of english christianity depends on the maintenance of the christian sabbath break down the fence which now surrounds the sunday and our sunday schools will soon come to an end Let in the flood of worldliness and dissipation on the Lord's Day, without check or hindrance, and our congregations will soon dwindle away. There is not too much religion in the land now. Destroy the sanctity of the Sabbath, and there soon will be far less. Nothing, in short, I believe, would so thoroughly advance the kingdom of Satan in England as to withdraw legal protection from the Lord's Day. It would be a joy to the infidel, but it would be an insult and offence to God." I ask the attention of all professing Christians, while I try to say a few plain words on the subject of the Sabbath. I have no new arguments to advance. I can say nothing that has not been said, and said better, too, a hundred times before. But at a time like this it becomes every Christian writer to cast in his might into the treasury of truth. As a minister of Christ, a father of a family, and a lover of my country, I feel bound to plead in behalf of the Old English Sunday. My sentence is emphatically expressed in the words of Scripture. Let us keep it holy. My advice to all Christians is to contend earnestly for the whole day against all enemies, both without and within. It is worth a struggle. Let our united cry be, We do not want the Sabbath law of England to be changed. There are four points in connection with the Sabbath which require examination. On each of these I wish to offer a few remarks. 1. The authority on which the sabbath stands two the purpose for which the sabbath was appointed three the manner in which the sabbath ought to be kept four the ways in which the sabbath may be profaned one let me in the first place consider the authority on which the sabbath stands i hold it to be of primary importance to have this point clearly settled in our minds here is the very rock on which many of the enemies of the sabbath make shipwreck they tell us that the day is a mere jewish ordinance and that we are no more bound to keep it holy than to offer sacrifice they proclaim to the world that the observance of the lord's day rests upon nothing but church authority and cannot be proved by the word of god now i believe that those who say such things are entirely mistaken amiable and respectable as many of them are i regard them in this matter as being thoroughly in error Names go for nothing with me in such a case. It is not the assertion of a hundred divines, whether living or dead, that will make me believe black is white, or reject the evidence of plain texts of scripture. I care little to be told what Jeremy Taylor or Paley or Arnold have thought. The grand question is, were their thoughts worth credit? Were they right or wrong? My own firm conviction is that the observance of a Sabbath day is part of the eternal law of God. It is not a mere temporary Jewish ordinance. It is not a man-made institution of priestcraft. It is not an unauthorized imposition of the Church. It is one of the everlasting rules which God has revealed for the guidance of all mankind. It is a rule that many nations without the Bible have lost sight of and buried, like other rules, under the rubbish of superstition and heathenism but it was a rule intended to be binding on all the children of adam what saith the scripture this is the grand point after all what public opinion says or newspaper writers think matters nothing we are not going to stand at the bar of man when we die he that judgeth us is the lord god of the bible what saith the lord a i turn to the history of creation there i read that god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it genesis chapter 2 verse 3 i find the sabbath mentioned in the very beginning of all things there are five things which were given to the father of the human race in the day that he was made god gave him a dwelling place a work to do a command to observe a helpmeet to be his companion and a sabbath day to keep i am utterly unable to believe that it was in the mind of god that there ever should be a time when Adam's children should keep no Sabbath. B. I turn to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. I there read one whole commandment out of ten devoted to the Sabbath day, and that the longest, fullest, and most minute of all. Exodus chapter twenty verses eight to eleven. I see a broad plain distinction between those ten commandments and any other part of the law of Moses it was the only part spoken in the hearing of all the people and after the lord had spoken it the book of deuteronomy expressly says he added no more deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 22 it was delivered under circumstances of singular solemnity and accompanied by thunder lightning and an earthquake it was the only part written on tablets of stone by god himself it was the only part put inside the ark I find the law of the sabbath side by side with the law about idolatry murder adultery theft and the like i am utterly unable to believe that it was meant to be only of temporary obligation c i turn to the writings of the old testament prophets i find them repeatedly speaking of the breach of the sabbath side by side with the most heinous transgressions of the moral law ezekiel chapter twenty verses thirteen sixteen and twenty four CHAPTER 22, VERSES 8 AND 26. I FIND THEM SPEAKING OF IT AS ONE OF THE GREAT SINS WHICH BROUGHT JUDGMENTS ON ISRAEL AND CARRIED THE JEWS INTO CAPTIVITY. NEHEMIAH CHAPTER 13, verse 18, JEREMIAH CHAPTER 17, VERSES 19-27. to 27. IT SEEMS CLEAR TO ME THAT THE SABBATH IN THEIR JUDGMENT IS SOMETHING FAR HIGHER THAN THE WASHINGS AND CLEANSINGS OF THE CEREMONIAL LAW. I am utterly unable to believe, when I read their language, that the fourth commandment was one of the things one day to pass away. D. I turn to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ when He was upon earth. I cannot discover that our Savior ever let fall a word in discredit of any one of the Ten Commandments. On the contrary, I find Him declaring at the outset of His ministry that He came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill and the context of the passage where he uses these words satisfies me that he was not speaking of the ceremonial law but the moral matthew chapter five verse seventeen i find him speaking of the ten commandments as a recognized standard of moral right and wrong thou knowest the commandments mark chapter ten verse nineteen i find him speaking eleven times on the subject of the sabbath but it is always to correct the superstitious additions which the pharisees have made to the law of moses about observing it And never to deny the holiness of the day he no more abolishes the sabbath than a man destroys a house when he cleans off the moss or weeds from its roof above all i find our saviour taking for granted the continuance of the sabbath when he foretells the destruction of jerusalem pray ye he says to the disciples that your flight might not be on the sabbath day matthew chapter 24 verse 20 I am utterly unable to believe, when I see all this, that our Lord did not mean the fourth commandment to be as binding upon Christians as the other nine. E. I turn to the writings of the Apostles. I there find plain speaking about the temporary nature of the ceremonial law and its sacrifices and ordinances. I see them called carnal and weak. I am told they are a shadow of good things to come, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and ordained till the time of Reformation but I cannot find a syllable in their writings which teaches that any one of the Ten Commandments is done away. On the contrary, I see St. Paul speaking of the moral law in the most respectful manner, though he teaches strongly that it cannot justify us before God. When he teaches the Ephesians the duty of children to parents, he simply quotes the fifth commandment, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, Romans chapter 7, verse 12, chapter 13, verse 8, ephesians chapter 6 verse 2 first timothy chapter 1 verse 8 i see st james and st john recognizing the moral law as a rule acknowledged and accredited among those to whom they wrote james chapter 2 verse ten, First john chapter 3 verse 4 again i say that i am utterly unable to believe that when the apostles spoke of the law they only meant nine commandments and not ten f i turn to the practice of the apostles when they were engaged in planting the church of christ i find distinct mention of their keeping one day of the week as a holy day acts chapter twenty verse seven first corinthians chapter sixteen verse two i find the day spoken of by one of them as the lord's day revelation chapter one verse ten undoubtedly the day was changed it was made the first day of the week in memory of our lord's resurrection instead of the seventh but i believe the apostles were divinely inspired to make that change and at the same time wisely directed to make no public decree about it the decree would only have raised a ferment in the jewish mind and caused needless offence the change was one which it was better to let effect gradually and not to force on the consciences of weak brethren the spirit of the fourth commandment was not interfered with by the change in the smallest degree THE LORD'S DAY, ON THE FIRST DAY OF THE WEEK, WAS JUST AS MUCH A DAY OF REST AFTER SIX DAYS LABOR AS THE SEVENTH DAY SABBATH HAD BEEN. BUT WHY ARE WE TOLD SO POINTEDLY ABOUT THE FIRST DAY OF THE WEEK AND THE LORD'S DAY, IF APOSTLES KEPT NO ONE DAY MORE HOLY THAN ANOTHER, IS TO MY MIND wholly INEXPLICABLE. G. I TURN IN THE LAST PLACE TO THE PAGES OF UNFULFILLED PROPHECY. I FIND THERE A PLAIN PREDICTION THAT IN THE LAST DAYS, when the knowledge of the lord shall cover the earth there shall still be a sabbath from one sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me saith the lord isaiah chapter 66 verse 23 the subject of this prophecy no doubt is deep i do not pretend to say that i can fathom all its parts but one thing is very certain to me and that is that in the glorious days to come on the earth there is to be a sabbath and a sabbath not for jews only but for all flesh and when i see this i am utterly unable to believe that god meant the sabbath to cease between the first coming of christ and the second i believe he meant it to be an everlasting ordinance in his church i ask very serious attention to these arguments from scripture to my own mind it appears very plain that wherever god has had a church in bible times god has also had a sabbath day my own firm conviction is that a church without a sabbath would not be a church on the model of scripture Let me close this part of the subject by offering two cautions which i consider are eminently required by the temper of the times for one thing let us beware of undervaluing the old testament there has arisen of late years a most unhappy tendency to slight and despise any religious argument which is drawn from an old testament source and to regard the man who uses it as a dark benighted and old-fashioned person we shall do well to remember that the old testament is just as much inspired as the new and that the religion of both testaments is in the main and at the root one and the same the old testament is the gospel in the bud the new testament is the gospel in full flower the old testament is the gospel in the blade the new testament is the gospel in full ear the old testament saints saw many things through a glass darkly but they looked to the same christ by faith and were led by the same spirit as ourselves let us therefore never listen to those who sneer at old testament arguments much infidelity begins with an ignorant contempt of the old testament for another thing let us beware of despising the law of the ten commandments i grieve to observe how exceedingly loose and unsound the opinions of many men are upon this subject I have been astonished at the coolness with which even clergymen sometimes speak of them as a part of judaism which may be classed with sacrifices and circumcision i wonder how such men can read them to their congregations every week for my own part i believe that the coming of christ's gospel did not alter the position of the ten commandments one hair's breadth if anything it rather exalted and raised their authority i believe that in due place and proportion it is just as important to expound and enforce them as to preach christ crucified by them is the knowledge of sin by them the spirit teaches men their need of a savior by them the lord jesus teaches his people how to walk and please god i suspect it would be well for the church if the ten commandments were more frequently expounded in the pulpit than they are At all events, I fear that much of the present ignorance on the Sabbath question is attributable to erroneous views about the Fourth Commandment. 2. The second point I propose to examine is the purpose for which the Sabbath was appointed. I feel it is imperatively necessary to say something on this point. There is no part of the Sabbath question about which there are so many ridiculous misstatements put forward. Many are raising a cry in the present day, as if we were inflicting a positive injury on them in calling on them to keep the sabbath holy. They talk as if the observance of the day were a heavy yoke, like circumcision and the washings and purifications of the ceremonial law. They rail at ministers of religion for defending the sabbath, as if they only wanted to keep it for their own selfish ends. They insinuate that our motives are not pure and that we feel our craft in danger." And all this sounds very plausible in the ears of ignorant persons once for all let us understand that all such statements are founded in entire misconception and are rank delusions the Sabbath is god's merciful appointment for the common benefit of all mankind it was made for man mark chapter two verse twenty seven it was given for the good of all classes for the laity quite as much as for the clergy it is not a yoke but a blessing it is not a burden but a mercy it is not a hard wearisome requirement but a mighty public benefit it is not an ordinance which man is bid to use in faith without knowing why he uses it it is one which carries with it its own reward it is good for man's body and mind it is good for nations above all it is good for souls a the sabbath is good for man's body we all need a day of rest on this point at any rate all medical men are agreed Curiously and wonderfully made as the human frame is, it will not stand incessant work without regular intervals of repose. The first gold diggers of California soon found out that. Reckless and ungodly as many of them probably were, urged on as they were, no doubt, by the mighty influence of the hope of gain, they still found out that a seventh day's rest was absolutely needful to keep themselves alive. Without it, they discovered that in digging for gold, they were only digging their own graves. I firmly believe that one reason why the health of working clergymen so frequently fails is the great difficulty they find in getting a day of rest. I am sure if the body could tell us its wants it would cry loudly, Remember the sabbath day. b. The sabbath is good for man's mind. The mind needs rest quite as much as the body. It cannot bear an uninterrupted strain on its powers. It must have its intervals to unbend and recover its force without them it will either prematurely wear out or fail suddenly like a broken bow the testimony of the famous philanthropist mr wilberforce on this point is very striking he declared that he could only attribute his own power of endurance to his regular observance of the sabbath day he remembered that he had observed some of the mightiest intellects among his contemporaries fail suddenly at last and their possessors come to melancholy ends and he was satisfied that in every such case of mental shipwreck the true cause was neglect of the fourth commandment c the sabbath is good for nations it has an enormous effect both on the character and temporal prosperity of a people i firmly believe that a people which regularly rests one day in seven will do more work and better work in a year than a people which never rest at all their hands will be stronger their minds will be clearer their power of attention application and steady perseverance will be far greater what two nations on earth are so prosperous at this day as great britain and the united states of america where shall we find on the globe so much energy so much steadiness so much success so much public confidence so much morality and so much good government as in these two countries let others account for all this as they please i say without hesitation that one grand secret of it all has been the observance of the sabbath great britain and the united states with all their sins, are the two most Sabbath-keeping nations on earth. They have given up seven years of good working days in the last fifty years to keeping the Lord's day holy, but have they lost anything by it? No, indeed. The two Sabbath-keeping nations are the most prosperous nations in the world. d. Last but not least, the Sabbath is an unmixed good for man's soul. The soul has its wants just as much as the mind and body. It is in the midst of a hurrying, bustling world, in which its interests are constantly in danger of being jostled out of sight. To have those interests properly attended to, there must be a special day set apart. There must be a regularly recurring time for examining the state of our souls. There must be a day to test and prove us whether we are prepared for an eternal heaven. Take away a man's Sabbath, and his religion soon comes to nothing. As a general rule there is a regular flight of steps from no sabbath to no god i know well that many say that religion does not consist in keeping days and seasons i agree with them i am quite aware that it needs something more than sabbath observance to save our souls but i would like such persons to tell us plainly what kind of religion it is which teaches people to keep no days holy at all it may be the religion of poor corrupt human nature but i am sure it is not the religion of revelation it is not the religion which tells us that we must be born again and believe in christ and live holy lives revealed religion teaches me that it is not quite so cheap and easy a thing to go to heaven as many nowadays seem to fancy and that it is essential to our soul's prosperity that in every week we give god a day i know well that there are some good people who contend that every day ought to be holy to true christians and on this ground appreciate the special sanctification of the first day of the week. I respect the conscientious convictions of such people. I would go as far as anyone in contending for an everyday religion and protesting against a mere Sabbath Christianity. But I am satisfied that the theory is unsound and unscriptural. I am convinced that, taking human nature as it is, the attempt to regard every day as the Lord's Day would result in having no Lord's Day at all, None but the thorough fanatic, I presume, would say that it is wrong to have stated seasons for private prayer on the ground that we ought to pray always, and few, I am persuaded, who look to the world with the eyes of common sense, will fail to see that to bring religion to bear on men with full effect there must be one day in the week set apart for its business. Now I believe I have advanced nothing that can be fairly gainsaid i believe that if every church and chapel were pulled down and every minister of religion banished from this kingdom it would still be an unmixed benefit for the nation to preserve untouched the institutions of the sabbath and an act of suicidal folly to part with it whether englishmen know it or not their sabbath is one of their richest possessions and the grand secret of their position in the world it is good for their bodies minds and souls Of it, the famous words may be truly used, that it is the cheap defense of a nation. End of chapter 14, part 1